You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome to No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We have got an exciting show for you today as we continue our coverage of the 2021 NFL Draft. We are going to dive headfirst into the wide receivers today, arguably the Tennessee Titans biggest need right now. We're going to talk about which options, specifically in the first three rounds or so, make the most sense uh, from a scheme standpoint for the Titans. Where does the value line up? We're going to be answering those very important questions. We're also going to be talking about some uh, very important other non-draft-related news surrounding the Titans. Mike Vrabel had a press conference on Monday. We're going to get into the two things that he said in that that weren't boring, because uh, there was not much that he said that wasn't boring, but there were a couple of things. We're also going to talk about former Titans defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz reportedly rejoining the team in a mystery role. We'll get into all of that in today's episode. Let's start there, guys. Uh, Jim Schwartz, former Titans defensive coordinator for many years, is reportedly back but we don't know what exactly he's going to be doing. It was initially reported by Brent Doherty of 104.5 The Zone that he would be taking a senior advisory role of some kind. Uh, now we have Paul Koharski coming out and saying it's going to be more of a consultant basis. He may come in uh, three or four days a week. We really don't know what his role is. What do we think about about this? Because... Vrabel, in his press conference, sort of uh, 
to to no fanfare really made the comment well we're not done necessarily building the staff there's still additions we could make Uh, this is probably what he was getting at when he said that what do we think about this hire i'm not as excited or ecstatic about it as i think a lot of titans fans are uh i think a lot of them probably think that our defensive issues are just solved uh with this I don't. I'm still very, I don't know, very concerned. I don't feel all that great about the direction of the defense. I do think this will help a little bit because I think it takes off some of the pressure off Shane Bowen. uh, And I think it gives him another voice, you know, in his head or or someone behind his shoulder to kind of help guide him as he becomes the quote unquote defensive coordinator and I mean, it's always a good thing to have smart off defensive or offensive minds on your coaching staff. I do think Schwartz is that, uh, although his defenses haven't been as prolific uh, over the past couple of seasons as they were back in the day when he was, let's say, the, the Times defensive coordinator uh, or the head coach of the Lions. I still think he can offer a helping hand on the defensive side of the ball, so... I'm glad they did something because if they would have just gone blind with Shane Bowen for the second year in a row, I think things would have gone pretty bad. And I still think they can, but I think this is a step in the right direction in terms of trying to help fix the defense. Yeah, I guess the good news here is it can't be a bad move. Like It's not going to be one of those too many cooks in the kitchen kind of things because there's only – two or three people who have any idea what they're talking about in that whole building on the defensive staff. And I don't mean that necessarily as a dig, just as like, we know that Shane Bowen doesn't know what he's doing. That's kind of what this whole off season has been about is making the defense foolproof so he can run it. And then you've got direct oversight from Vrabel who only has one year of a defensive coordinator himself. So really the only person with experience in that building is Haslett. I mean, if, if, I think he's still there. I'm not 100% sure. But, you know, having Jim Schwartz there, who's been a defensive coordinator and who's been an above average defensive coordinator to a good defensive coordinator for most of his career, it it can only be a good thing. And even when his defenses as a whole weren't great, they were at least good at getting to the quarterback and causing problems for young quarterbacks and stuff like that, which are all things that the Titans need to be able to do this year and beyond with – Trevor Lawrence with whoever's going to replace Deshaun Watson, you know, for whatever reason in Houston, you know, I, I don't know. Like I, I don't want to get too excited about this because he's not the defensive coordinator and we don't know how much input he's going to have. But then again, it really can't be a bad move. Like at the very least you're getting somebody with experience and knowledge and somebody who is, not been the worst person as a position coach or as a defensive coordinator, which is what we've seen from most of the staff that Vrabel's assembled on that side of the ball. I, I very much agree with the assessment that this can't be a bad thing. I think, you know, if you go back and listen to when we did the Titan sized podcast, probably I want to say three years ago, whenever Malarkey got fired, we talked about, uh, well, you know, go get the big offensive mind, and then go get Jim Schwartz as your defensive coordinator. Like Y'all remember that? We were like all three on board. And I think 
based on that, I think the three of us have a lot of respect for, for Jim Schwartz and what he does and, and the, his philosophy toward calling a defense. I will say this, though. I think that anyone who – and I, don't, I haven't really seen anyone doing this, but I feel like it's going to come – whether from the Titans or from from fans or from fanboys in the media, spinning this as like, well, now it's okay that they have Shane Bowen because good old Jim Schwartz is going to be in there too. That No, they still hired Shane Bowen to run the defense. This does not make that go away. I'll, I'll use the analogy. I, I put this on my Twitter that I thought of earlier. It's like, you know, I, I start a radio station and I, and I hire to host the main show, our flagship show, someone who does not speak English. But then like as the technical producer who who's running the boards, I hire some great radio broadcaster like, uh, I don't, I don't know, like, like Joe Buck, just to think of the first broadcaster that came to mind. I hire Joe Buck to run the boards, and I start advertising, hey, guys, new radio station, and we've got Joe Buck on the team. But you're never going to hear Joe Buck, and what you are going to hear is some dude that you're not going to be able to understand because he doesn't speak English. Like, me having Joe Buck running the boards does not nullify the fact that the guy on the microphone does not speak English. Jim Schwartz popping in every few days does not nullify the fact that this is still going to be a Mike Vrabel, Shane Bowen defense. Yeah, you're probably right. And I'm interested to see what exactly his role will be, whether he's going to be kind of hands-on on the field or whether he's just going to be, you know, one of those like quote unquote consultants that's just in the booth. Uh, and I don't know what they really do. I never know what those people do. So we'll see. But like, like we've all said, it can't be bad. It, it can't be bad. And considering how awful the defense was last year, uh, you know, there, there, it's not it's not a subtraction in, in any capacity. And I wish they would have just made him the defensive coordinator, to be honest. But they can't because they had already named Shane Bowen. But I just think this means that this is probably, unless the defense is outstanding Shane Bone's probably gone after this year or at least gets demoted again I still don't know what his role is Vrabel doesn't know what his role is we're going to talk about that in a little bit but I don't know I I wish they would give these guys clear defined roles so that we actually know what they're going to do uh but I mean we'll see I I do think it's a good it's a good move and I'm, I'm glad Schwartz is back in Tennessee because even though he rubbed some people the wrong way in uh in Detroit I can't remember who he fought with I think it might have been Jim Harbaugh uh well everyone fights for Jim Harbaugh so it doesn't really matter but he he really does bring a lot of energy and he's a guy who just doesn't take any crap and I think for for this defense that's kind of what they need because they've been a little coddled in the past and, and I think uh it's a good uh change of direction for them I'll I'll say yeah. this if if we're gonna see the, the 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 classic Jim Schwartz wide nine, you're not gonna see Harold Landry dropping into cover two anymore. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the whole thing is the the styles of defense that Shane Bowen ran last year and that 
Schwartz runs historically, they're drastically different. You know, you're not going to see three defensive linemen, one edge, like all kind of bunched up tight. I mean, you're going to see guys spread out and it's going to be very clear. Pin your ears back. Nothing's getting outside of me. You know, it's, it, they have very defined and not easy, but the, the roles are set up for your edges to win and your edges to get a lot of pressure and pressure quickly at the hindrance of your run defense, which is fine because this is the NFL and it's not 1985. Like you need to have a good pass rush and you, it's okay to be unsound in your run defense. If you're going to be above average or good or great in your pass defense. So that, I mean, it'll be clear pretty quickly and it, you know, it'll boost the stats of, you know, Bud Dupree and Harold Landry, obviously then you'll get increased performances from, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, because I mean, Schwartz is the guy who kind of cultivated Albert Hainsworth and Fletcher Cox, like an endomic and Sue. Like, I mean, if nothing else, he's made very, even though he's traditionally a linebackers coach by trade as a defensive coordinator, he's always found and developed and managed really good defensive tackles. So, I mean, if all he does is make the front for 50% better, then it'll be a drastic difference because that's where the most of the talent is on the defensive roster right now. So, you know, again, don't, don't get your hopes up. Like Luke said, it's not, this is not a fix. This is still an issue, but instead of just sitting there with a broken arm, at least they've tried to put a bandaid over it. They've, they've tried something to fix it. And, you know, whether they actually go through with it or, you know, how much power they give them is yet to be seen. But even if it's a foot in the door now, and maybe next year it's he gets named defensive coordinator and they fire Shane Bowen because they realize he can't do it, then, you know, that's great. But it has to start with this. Let's talk a little bit about what Vrabel had to say generally in that press conference on Tuesday because, as I sort of joked at the beginning, it wasn't a lot, which is typical of Vrabel. He, he likes to say a lot of words without really – saying anything there were a couple of things that jumped out though one of them being the comment of well we're not necessarily done with with the staff clearly they weren't with 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 this Jim Schwartz move also with that you had the comment that I know Will uh thinks is just patently false where where Frable said they uh interviewed quite or, or spoke to at least quite a few people when they were looking to hire a defensive coordinator. And I have more thoughts on on that in the context of what he had to say about Shane Bowen. But but do we think, just for now, that that was true? I mean, we know they hired the – or they interviewed the Steelers guy. I can't remember what his name is. Um, They're like DB coach or something. Terrell Austin. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Like, what do we think about this? Uh, I mean, maybe it's true. I don't know. We only got that one report from that Tara Lawson had been interviewed. And we also, it wasn't for the defensive coordinator spot. It was for the offensive coordinator spot, the Clemson guy. Uh, they had interviewed him, I think, or they reached out to him or something. I think those were the only two rumors that, that had come out. So I don't know what exactly they actually did in terms of searching for potential outside candidates for the defensive coordinator position. I just, I don't buy anything that Vrabel is selling ever. Like his 
press conferences have been so frustrating and so annoying. I've told you guys several times you're just wasting your time listening to them. But I know you have to do it for your jobs, and I guess I should too, uh, to talk about in this podcast. But it is just so it really it really wears on you some of the things he says, and I just have a hard time actually believing what he's telling me. I mean, one of one of the benefits, uh, you know, of, of the coronavirus and, and all of this that it's caused is I cannot tell you how many variable press conferences I was quote unquote in this past season where I would just turn down the volume and like make a sandwich, you know, cause it's just a whole lot of nothing, but well, I mean, I, you'd be, you'd get but, answers easier from sandwich. Like I, I, it, it's I, just, I, I'll say, I, I, I don't think he'd have any reason to lie. I, I think he did probably, if he says he interviewed quite a few people then he interviewed quite a few people. I mean, he, you know, I guess like what does the interview mean? Does the interview mean we called and reached out and asked if there'd be interest and you know that we did something over the phone probably or, I mean that cuz that's not an interview. That's that's just I mean <laughs> that's just not that shouldn't be qualified as that. I mean they did the bare minimum to meet the Rooney rule and then they hired the guys they wanted to hire. Like obviously he's not going to come out and say it because then it puts the team at risk for, you know, no, I mean, I, I don't know if they'd get docked draft picks or what, what that, that whole thing constitute, like what the punishment for that is. But you have to say, you have to satisfy the Rooney rule. And they very clearly didn't, you know, have anybody else in mind for the job. They were just trying to wait as long as they possibly could to make the hires. And then they hired both of them at the same time, I believe. And they did it on a Friday. Uh, the Friday before the senior bowl when, you know, John Robinson was out of town and it, when Brable knew he wouldn't be asked to speak in front of people for months, like it was a bad job. Like it, it was, they, they knew what oh, they, I, like, they knew exactly like, what they were doing. It's a good job so, on their part. Yeah. So it's like, there's, there is a reason to lie and that's to get to this perfect time where they could hide from everybody for months. And hopefully people would die down from the outrage of them hiring you know, rehiring the worst defensive coordinator in the league last year. So, I mean, he doesn't have a reason to lie in saying, you know, we, we interviewed several guys, but also there's no definition to several. Like when he says several, he could mean I talked to our defensive line coach. He said quite a few. And I talk, yeah. Well, I mean, again, that, <laughs> that's an ethereal number. Like quite, you know, if I have quite a few concussions, three is quite a few concussions. You know, yeah. if I win the lottery quite a few times, three is a lot of times to win the lottery. Like, you know, there are all these, you know, speculative, rel- like he'll never say a name, like probably because we already know the only names that they actually interviewed. But, you know, and he could also assume that, you know, he was trying to, quote unquote, interview Dean Pease. So it's all it's all these different things where you, you shouldn't give him any more credit than he deserves based off what we know. If there were if they were close with anybody. Rappaport Schefter would have leaked it out and they would have said, you know, they talked to this guy and it was close because they'd be trying to do a favor for that assistant coach, hoping that they get a favor done for them when that assistant coach gets hired to be a head coach. So based off all the information we have, it's given Vrabel way too much credit to assume he did anything other than the bare minimum to get Shane Bowen through. I want to talk about what Vrabel said about Shane Bowen because – 
he was asked if uh, any roles will change on the coaching staff, or, or I think the question might have been, uh, it was a general question, now that I'm thinking about it, it was a general question about Todd Downing and Shane Bowen, and the answer was, he just started listing people. He said, Shane will be the defensive coordinator. Todd will be the offensive coordinator. Craig Ackerman will be the special teams coordinator. He'll be assisted on special teams by Matt Edwards. We hired a few guys on offense and moved Ryan Crow to the outside linebackers coach. Very just illuminating answer there. And then he was asked, will anything about Shane Bowen's role change? Shane will be the defensive coordinator and Todd will be the offensive coordinator. Craig will coordinate the special teams this year. I don't know if you know what coordinators' jobs are to coordinate the coaching staff. And then I believe Joe Rexrode followed up and asked again about Bowen. Shane is the defensive coordinator. I'm not sure what we're looking for here, he said. But Shane is the defensive coordinator. Jim Hazlitt is the inside linebackers coach. Anthony Midget coaches the cornerbacks. That's our coaching staff. And then Joe Rexrode pushed him again, and he said, will anything change about Shane Bowen's role? And he said, hopefully he'll help us win more football games. And and then this is what got me, because this is obviously just terrible. <laughs> it probably – it's a little more funny in my voice, I would hope, than it is in, in Vrabel's, like, <laughs> droney, you know, sedated press conference voice. But he was asked – Basically, so 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 all of those answers were to questions along the lines of what is his role, what are his responsibilities, is there anything new? Then finally, he got asked what I was going to ask if it hadn't gotten asked when my turn came up, which is why make this hire? Why is Shane Bowen the best defensive coordinator for the Titans? We're very confident, and I'm very confident and excited about our staff, about the things we're going to do, about a lot of the things that we did. I make decisions that I think are going to help the football team. That's where we're at with this staff. There may be some more additions to our staff, but it's pretty much in place, and I'm excited about it. I recognize that this is a press conference, and, and this, is not, this is not the place for bare honesty. But good night. You are tossed a softball. Why was Shane Bowen the choice for defensive coordinator? You don't even have to hype him up, because I know Vrabel doesn't like doing that. Just explain to us, you know, here's what I thought the answer could have been to that question. I know I've been rambling for a minute, but but let, let me finish this thought. The answer to that question could have very easily been, look, we know the results on the field weren't always great on defense last year, and we have a lot of improving to do. Our, our, I already mentioned that, that we need to improve the pass rush, and, and we look forward to to Bud and, and Danico Autry helping us do that. Uh, but, th- but the things that I saw from Shane Bowen inside the building that no one else gets to see gives me confidence that, that he's going to do a good job this year and that we're all going to be able to improve. Would that not have been a fine answer to that question? You didn't hype the guy up. You didn't start talking about how he's the greatest coach and how he's just some sort of uh, uh, you know defensive prodigy. But you also didn't just like – Given the chance to explain your decision, say nothing. So all of this and those quotes I read and, and that, that point I just made, to say this, 
I think what Mike Vrabel was doing there is he didn't have anything to say about Shane Bowen. There was no explanation for why he was hired. Because if there was, he would have given it. There wasn't anything he saw last year that made him think Shane Bowen was the right guy to keep around outside from you know him bringing up later that Shane Bowen's loyal to Mike, to, to Mike Vrabel. The reason Shane Bowen's still around is because Shane Bowen is a part of the boys' club. That's what I got from all of that. You're not wrong. I mean... It's it's the same stuff we've kind of heard already. Like when when he's pressed on Bowen, he doesn't respond. Like he does this thing where he shoves. I, I wrote a big long column about this as soon as they rehired him. Where I think the title, the headline of it was, uh, Mike Vrabel just showed us that he doesn't care about results and that winning and losing doesn't matter. Because that's that's what this is. This is him hiring somebody who, you know, even if you say you believe in somebody. If you believe in somebody to operate on you and you die, you know, you shouldn't, I guess that's, I guess I should use a third person perspective. If you trust somebody to operate on somebody and they kill the patient and then you, you don't still trust them to do it again and say, Oh, you'll get them next time. Like it's like, no, they're, they, they're one for one on killing patients. Like, don't give them another chance. Like at the very least, knock them back down and send them back to school, whatever. But this misplaced belief in, First of all, he's never produced anyone. He's constantly underperformed. His position groups are very rarely any better without him than they were with him. So it's got to be something where you know they drink a beer late at night, and he says, "You know what? I think I've really learned a lot from you, Mike. You're you're like a father to me." And Mike's like, "Yeah, I'm great, huh?" And then Shane Bone just like, "Yeah, maybe one day I can be like you." And that that's the only thing I can think in this dynamic because no no outside linebackers ever gotten better. We've talked plenty about how he made every single defensive player on the roster last year regress because he either A didn't know how to communicate or B didn't know how to coach the players up to fit the system that he'd put in. And everybody bent over backwards to make excuses for him about how they didn't have a training camp and how they didn't get preseason and all this until about week 12 when you just really can't make those excuses anymore. And he kept making the same mistakes over and over. And, you know, by the end of the year, he had the worst third down defense in history. And, and I mean, you, there is no rational explanation on why you double down for a guy like that. Even like you said, Luke, if you're like, well, behind closed doors, he puts in a lot of work. The reason he didn't say that is because everybody would just say, where's the results? Like, can you show me any, not only did he not get, not improve the defense in any way, you can look at the defense in week one and look at him in week 17 and they're worse in week 17 than they are in week one. And it's not because they lost several key starters or anything like that. That that's not it. They just don't know what to do. They're out of place. They've potentially ruined Kevin Byard. I mean, I, I hope he gets back on track this year, but I mean, I've watched the Titans game several times over and over and over, either looking at, you know, the times they played the Colts for Denique Autry or the times they played the Steelers or, you know, whatever, or just watching them play. And I mean, it's just time and time again, he's, you know, pulling up before he gets to the ball. I don't know if he was hurt. I don't know what the deal was, but that 
is not the Kevin Byer that we saw for every season before this. So, I mean, he's actively ruining the good players on this team, and he hasn't developed anyone. So there is no argument to be made for him. So Vrabel's just ducking his head for as long as he can, and then if it doesn't work this year, like we've talked about, at least one of those people has to go. Either Bowen has to go or Bowen and Vrabel. But they can't have another year like they did this year on defense after they've invested all this money in defense this offseason and expect to keep their jobs. Imagine being so bad at your job that your boss or your colleague can't even lie about your qualities, what he thinks about you. Like it has to it has to be that bad. And honestly, I'm starting to feel bad for Shane Bowen. Uh, Vrabel kind of even hung him out to dry, not only by not answering, you know, his defined role, but also, uh, I think you said that they hope that they win more games this year with him as defensive coordinator. They won pretty much games sig- last year. Yeah. That pretty much signals that he thought that Shane Bowen did an awful job last year because they put, should have won more. So I, I don't know, man, like this is such a weird dynamic. It really doesn't have to be, uh, like you said, Luke. All Vrabel had to do was come out and say, look, he could have he could have gone with full coach speak. He could have just said, I like what he brings to the table. I think he's a smart guy, loyal, loyal worker, colleague. The players like him. I think he's going to do a good job. Exactly. That was it. That was it. But he couldn't well, even do that because, well, no, hold on. Okay, These sorry. players have been held hostage on social media yeah. to, to praise him. Right? Or, Kevin, Kev, yeah. Kevin Byard going on the Jim Wyatt article. Brutal. Uh, I, I, I like him. Did I, did I say that right? Did I, I, he, he's, he's like, fantastic. I hate that. Like, it's like you can see him, like, even as a quote, you can see him reading off a paper. He might have just said, insert a quote that you think I would say here and, you know, why it did it or whatever. It's just, it's just, it's just bad. Like, it's so, it's so hard to watch because you see other guys like it, case in point, look at how the offensive players responded to Arthur Smith getting a head coaching job and look at how many of them went out of their way to praise him, you know, love him up on Twitter that, you know, it was great. Oh, you know, he's such a great coach. He deserves all this Shane Bowen, who it's not like Shane Bowen came out of nowhere last year. Like he's been on the staff. He's, you know, he's quote unquote paid his dues as a linebacker coach. And then he got promoted and he officially got promoted this year and nobody said a word about it. Not for an hour, not for like days. I think it was something like four days. And then Kevin Byard, maybe and Malcolm Butler or somebody, uh, you know, who's now gone l- tweeted up about how they, like. it, it was so embarrassing. Like, I, I don't know if that's the whole like draft day, uh, you know, nobody went to his party kind of thing. But if there was a moment where everybody needed to look and say, like, this is the evidence that he doesn't have any influence in the locker room and that they don't like him, that that's the smoking gun. So, you know, I, I just – it's got to make the defensive players hate him. Like, they've <laughs> got to hate that, like, they know they're not getting any help after – especially after having Dean Pease, although most of them don't have him anymore because most of these guys weren't there when Dean Pease was there, but – after seeing what an actual defensive coordinator does in their day-to-day job, like they've got to be so embarrassed that they have to go out there and basically make it all up on the fly, which is why it's good that they have uh, Jim Schwartz coming in. And it's also, I, I would bet money that one of the reasons why Bud Dupree 
and Danico Audrey were both signed is because they're older guys who've been in functioning defenses and they can basically coach their position groups on the field. Like same thing with Janoris Jenkins. Like it's, it's very rare that you get older at several positions and when you do, usually one of the things that are brought up over and over again is, you know, they, they have leadership qualities, the good work ethic, all that kind of stuff in terms of being produ- in top of being productive already. So I, I, I just guarantee that whether Mike Vrabel sees it for that or not, John Robinson brought these guys in because he's like, look, if we're going to survive this, y'all are going to have to coach this team because this dude can't even face the right way. Like he can barely speak into a microphone and walk without falling over. So good luck. It's very weird. I think we can all agree on that. The dynamic, it's just strange. Let's talk about another area of the Titans that isn't very good right now, the wide receivers. Because right now you've got A.J. Brown, who's awesome. You've got Josh Reynolds, who – we don't really know, and, 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 and we don't know what he's going to be able to bring the Titans is what, is what I mean by that. And and then it's a bunch of, like, practice squad level players. Then it's the Cameron Batsons. It's the Nick Westbrook Akeens. It's not good. And, and I have a, a little piece coming out later this week about how I think the Titans need to take a receiver in either the first or second round of the draft and go get someone that's going to come in and help A.J. Brown and Tannehill because they also lost, in addition to losing Corey Davis, their number two receiver, they also lost Johnny Smith. So it's it, it, the Titans need some pass catchers, and it is time for us to talk about which ones in the draft at the wide receiver position make the most sense. We talked a little bit before we started recording I kind of tend to like uh, Terrace Marshall for them in the first round. He's a guy that can do everything. He averaged 15 yards per catch in college. Uh, He has experience playing both – extensive experience playing both in the slot and outside. And what did we talk about a a week or so ago, guys, about how they need someone who's not just, you know, a quote-unquote slot guy or a quote-unquote outside guy – because that way you can move around and you can put A.J. Brown in the slot. And, and, you know, if they have Marshall, they can can mix and match the two. He ran a air quote, you know, I'm, I'm doing the, like, winking meme. You can't see me. Four, th- four three, eight, 40. You know, let's add four to that. He ran four four two in the 40. Uh, to me, he's a very good, intriguing prospect. Does a lot of things really well, whereas a lot of the guys – that are probably in that end of first round into the second round territory for me have more question marks. I, uh, to me, pretty much all the receivers have question marks. Even, even Jalen Waddle to me has, has question marks. Would I take him at 22? Yes, but I'm not as sold as others are on him. I think only Chase and Devonte Smith Although I could make the case that Devontae Smith is just way too skinny and it's kind of a little concerning. Uh, but those guys aren't going to make it to 22 anyway, so we really don't have to worry about them. I do like Marshall. When I initially started watching him, I wasn't too big of a, of a fan just because I thought he was very slow in, in terms of his route running, especially on like uh, comebacks and in-breaking routes. He's really not that type of guy. He's not an outstanding route runner. Uh, he's not very agile laterally, but I started watching him a little more, and 
I like him, especially if the Titans want someone who just has great straight line speed, can get deep down the field and get there quickly and also make the catches. He's he's one of the best over-the-shoulder catches on, on deep throws uh, like I, I've seen in quite a while, really, really. and it's impressive. Uh, he also uses his, his body well to shield defensive backs uh, at the catch point. So I like him. I, I, I still have a couple of doubts in terms of his his ceiling at the next level. I, I don't know if he can really be that that wide receiver one. But when I see him exploding on some of these deep routes, he, he kind of has a little bit of DK Metcalf to his game. Uh, he's obviously not as big, and I don't, I don't think he's really as talented. But he's someone that if you take it 22, I would feel I would feel okay about it, and I think he meshes well uh, in terms of being uh, a complement to AJ Brown, and, and I think it would allow AJ Brown to to do more damage in the intermediate area of the field, uh, where Corey Davis did most of his damage last year. Brown could, could kind of take a lot of Corey Davis's production from there, and then Marshall could just kind of like supplement the the deep routes that AJ Brown was getting last year. Yeah, I, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but the problem I have with just in, in general with drafting a receiver here, or I guess for with falling in love with a receiver there, is there's just not a huge gap between the wide receiver four and the wide receiver eight. And there's also the fact that I think that this offense basically can manufacture a wide receiver two if they get anybody with talent. Having said that, you know, Marshall makes, I mean, he makes a lot of sense. Like you watch him and he, I mean, he's very much not a wide receiver one and he's never been that guy. And the one time he was asked to be that guy, he opted out in the middle of the season before the Alabama game because I mean, because he didn't want to play Alabama and get shut down and hurt his draft stock if we're being honest. So, you know, he's not the competitor you want if you want a wide receiver one, but if you've got somebody who's a dog and can take all the attention away from them, like, AJ Brown, then he can thrive against the second best corner or against a defense that has to play more zone because they're worried about AJ Brown and Derrick Henry tearing him up. So I, I, I like him fine. I think he'd be a good fit. I think he has a lot of things that this offense could use and he can win a lot of the same ways that Corey Davis won. He's not as physical as a blocker. He kind of gets ragdolled at times, but you know, if you're just looking at like a receiver who's got home run threat ability and all that, like uh, there's plenty to like about Marshall. I, I think he would be fine. But again, I just have a hard time falling in love with somebody there because I just think that you can probably get as much talent later as you can if you draft him there. So one thing we talked about before the show was the idea of the Titans take a receiver in the first round, whether that's uh, you know Marshall or, or, or anyone else, and then come back in like round three late and take a Mari Rogers who who profiles a lot like Adam Humphreys. But the problem that I think the Titans are going to run into with that that, that we re- realize as we were having that conversation is there's just so many other needs with those four top 100 picks that the Titans have. You know, they could use an edge rusher. They could use an inside linebacker or a right tackle. They could use a cornerback. You know, there's so many positions that need help that you almost wonder, wouldn't it just be best to get your guy 
whether that's someone like you know Marshall in the first round or or Elijah Moore in the second round, and and you know have your guy that's going to be your number two, and then you can let Reynolds be the number three, and then just move on and add to other positions, and then maybe come back on day three and find yourself you know Tajay Sharp two point Yeah, I, I think this team still has too many holes for us to waste two. Well, not waste to use two picks uh, within the top 100 uh, on one specific position. Uh, I do think they need to add two receivers, whether it be one in the draft and one in free agency or, or, or two through the draft. Uh, but I would prefer that that they do it with one of those top 100 picks, and then they get someone like you said uh, on day three. Uh, I like Reynolds. I, I think he's a capable number two, and I think he's a really good number three. So I'd be okay if they if they wait on receiver in terms of picking another one um, after the top 100. But I do think they need to use one for either. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's weird. It's a good draft class in terms of receivers. I like it a lot, a lot of the players, but I think a lot of them have some flaws, and I'm not totally sold uh, on a lot of them. And I think a lot of them are just so different, and and you could kind of pick and choose what exactly you want. So I don't know what John Robinson and, you know, Todd Downing and Vrabel, what they want out of a receiver that they draft. I would assume they would like to get someone who's explosive, but I mean, it might be that they just want to supplement uh, Josh Reynolds playing on the outside and then just get a slot receiver in the draft. I, I don't know how I would feel about that really. I mean, like a pure slot receiver. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I, I also I, they just need to add. They need it. They have too many holes left, and they're not signing anyone in free agency. And it's making me a little antsy. Uh, and I mean, we're, we'll see what what they're gonna do. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think a receiver within the first two rounds is, is probably necessary. And I think they're gonna be able to get a, a, a decent one. I just don't know if the value is gonna be there specifically at 22. Yeah, and there's only three wide receivers that they're going to take in this draft anyway, maybe four, if they bend their normal rules, the Matthias Wadner rule. Explain so, the Matthias Wadner rule for us, Will. Uh, I think I'm the expert on the Matthias Wadner rule here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matthias uh, can explain it if he'd like. Yeah, I just think... Matthias, well, it's, yeah, I think so. I've written about it. Um but Matthias obviously is the the one who identified it. So, how long ago? Yeah, it's a, Matthias was this two years ago? I believe so. I think this was yeah when they drafted not Corey Davis. I think it was the the AJ. Year after. Is, yeah, no. it was the AJ. It was that AJ Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find the. I'm trying to find my tweet that had them all. But essentially, it's just John Robinson has never drafted a receiver that hasn't gone to two uh, 1,000-yard seasons in his college career. But I feel like he's going to break the rule this year. I, I know think, this is kind I think, of— I think COVID season changes that. Because, you know, you look, at a lot of the, you look at a lot of the top guys in this year's draft class and you pull up their stats because production is so important and you go, oh, dang, 500 receiving yards. Oh, they only played five games, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's why I think he's probably going to break that rule. Uh, I don't know who qualifies in terms of having two 1,000-yard rece- receiving seasons. Uh, I think Devontae Smith. I mean, Jamar Chase doesn't even qualify, right? He only had the one year, and then he opted out. 
Um, so it's weird. It, it, it's a weird year. I don't know. I do think he he will not draft someone that hasn't been productive for more than a season. I don't. I don't think. Like I think he would draft Jamar Chase at twenty two just because. I mean, he almost had two thousand yards in one season, and he's so talented. But I I don't see John Robinson is just not a guy that doesn't that drafts players that weren't productive in college. He just doesn't do it. Yeah. So uh, I have it right here. Um, I said, because I wrote it in an article, I said, for those unfamiliar, the Matias Wadner rule is the rule that every receiver John Robinson spends a draft pick on must have two or more 1,000 yard seasons. Looking back from the 2014 to 2019 classes, there are only 39 players with two plus 1,000 yard seasons. So just under eight per receiver, sorry, just under eight receivers per draft class. So Robinson has drafted four of those receivers Corey Davis, A.J. Brown, Tajay Sharp, and Taewon Taylor. Uh, and those are the only receivers he spent draft picks on. So roughly 10% of the players have that requirement. John Robinson's drafted, and he's drafted nobody else. So that's a pretty – it's a pretty yeah, hard thing to draft. that's a pretty draft. big sample. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty hard thing to draft in any class because, like I said, there's only about eight receivers in a class that fit that. And for John Robinson to hit every single – you know, for every single one of his to hit that, it's not a coincidence. So – that that's it's something to note. So uh, I, I did the math and I figured out who that was. And the three guys that fit that are Devonta Smith, uh, Diami Brown from North Carolina, and Demonte Coxey from Memphis. Those are the only three that have done that. Uh, I said if you wanted to make it to where the rule changes into uh, receivers with two thousand plus receiving yards over the last two years to adjust for this you know shortened season it only adds one different receiver and that's Elijah Moore. So if they do bend the rule, it really, the only guy who still has that exceptional level of production is Elijah Moore. So I, I, I don't, I don't know that that, like, I don't know that that's a rule, but I'm, I'm just saying if that is a rule and that is something that, or at least a very, very strong preference that Robinson has, then it's going to be one of those four guys or two of those, those four guys. They make sense. Like I could see them drafting Elijah Moore or, or Deami Brown, honestly. Bateman yeah. didn't have, no, Bateman only had the one. And then Elijah Moore, but I yeah. think they will too. Right. Like Taylor Lewan and AJ Brown have already tweeted about how much they like him. He ran like a four three at his pro day. I think he I think he came in at five ten. Who is this? Um, Elijah Moore. Elijah Dude, Moore. Four three five in the forty. Yeah, four three five. So like, let's say he runs a four three nine or a four four whatever. Like that's still plenty fast. Like he easily separates on film. He plays in the slot, but AJ Brown only played in the slot when he was at Ole Miss. Like. There's mm. so many similarities. They've liked each other. I think AJ Brown and Elijah Moore have been tweeting about each other for, you know, years. Like they, they've they've talked and they have a relationship. If you're drafting in this class, and this is just my kind of soapbox that I've been on for Elijah Moore for the last little bit, but if you're looking at this class and you're thinking, okay, what's the overcorrection John Robinson could make? It's instead of trusting and taking a leap of faith on somebody who you don't really have any connection to, which was Isaiah Wilson, why not go for the player that you have somebody, you're arguably your second best player on offense, 
and AJ Brown and you know your young star who's vouching for him. They play the same position. They communicate constantly. I mean, they both apparently have great work ethics. They both produced consistently at the college level. Like AJ or uh, Elijah Moore did it with two different quarterbacks and two different offensive systems. Like there, there's plenty of reasons to think that the overcorrection is to take the safe pick here in Elijah Moore to pair with AJ Brown at also a position of need. And it also fits the SEC requirement that John Robinson loves because, like we've said before, his last three first-round picks have all been SEC players, and five of his last six picks that are either the first or second round have been SEC players. So he does kind of check all those boxes for if there's one player that they might overdraft at that position or that they might just think is a perfect fit, it would be Elijah Moore. Uh, the, the only thing that you think he could be one of those receivers in the future that plays pretty much every down, like 80 80- 80% of the snaps. I just don't, I just don't, I, I don't know if he can consistently win on the outside, but maybe that doesn't matter. I mean, if you're drafting him in the second round, I don't know if that, that really does matter, but I don't know within the Titan system. I, I just don't know if, if we'll, we'll use that. I mean, it is, I it, it is important to, th- to, I think, have this discussion. I think AJ Brown's role and involvement will change a lot in 2021 regardless of what happens in the draft in that whereas previously as good as he was he was still always sort of a cog in the system he was the leading receiver and and he was getting the majority of the targets but a lot of targets were going to davis targets were going to to johnny smith when uh humphreys was healthy he was the offense will now be funneled through 22 half of the time and 11 the other half of the time like the, the passing game is now funneled through AJ Brown as a and that there's a difference there and I think we see AJ Brown's targets go up substantially in 2021 I think we see uh, as a result of that his yardage and his catch total go up substantially this year and so I don't know that you necessarily need Corey Davis 2.0 someone of that skill level but you do need someone that is going to, you know, make a DB not be able to just kind of stand there. And I think that's what you end up with with, you know, Nick Westbrook, Akeen, or Cam Batson. Yeah. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I do like more. I, I just think he's a, a little too undersized, I guess, in, to, to, in order to, you know, take that. Uh, potential next step and be a wide receiver one but you're not really drafting him for that because he's probably not getting drafted in the first round but I mean he's always open in the middle of the field he has amazing hands he catches pretty much everything uh, especially in traffic and when he has the ball in his hands he's really explosive he could just break any tackle and pretty much break uh, anything for a long gain so uh, I'd be cool with that in the second round mid-second round yeah, and the question is kind of like, okay, you don't even really have to use him as a boundary wide receiver, especially not in year one because you've got Reynolds. So you can line up AJ Brown, Reynolds, and Elijah Moore and be like and be fine if you want to run three wide receivers or whatever. Especially since you're not committed to bringing out fifty two tight ends to put on the field. Now, having said that, it there's not a ton of 
routes that the Titans run where they just ask their receivers to one-on-one win with no deception. Like they run so much play action that the routes are basically already run for, like they're already almost open by default. It's just, you know, what, what read they are like, you know, like the conversation that people have had about Corey Davis being in one of the most opportune situations in the NFL. Like you don't have to have a physical freak, freak opposite, AJ Brown, because how do you cover AJ Brown and Elijah Moore if Elijah Moore is a good, deceptive run after catch wide receiver? Like, you run your play action, the cornerback one or uh, the cornerback on that side and the safety are rolled over towards AJ Brown. You know, if they do that, then all you have to do is have a guy who can win one on one. And maybe he doesn't beat the guy one on one every time, but maybe he beats him one out of three times and that's a 20 yard play. It's like, that's, that's plenty. Like the, this is not going to be a team that passes, you know, 35 times a game all of a sudden, like they're not going to increase their pass performance. And I also think that there's something to be said about the whole idea of, you know, getting AJ Brown more targets. It's a good thing, but you also have to have somebody who can bear the load and to put up this kind of production, like he's put up for the last two years, Moore has been able to hold up to being, you know, in the sec dealing with that kind of coverage and, playing week in and week out against the toughest guys. Like it's not like he's a guy who's had to be protected. They use him on jet sweeps. They, you know, they hand in the ball, they line him up in the backfield sometimes. So, I mean, he's plenty tough. It's just, can he win outside versus press? I don't know, but he did also run a pretty good 40. And if you're spending all your time making sure you're locking down Elijah Moore, then somebody else should be open or somebody else should make a play. You know, well, on that point, I think it's also important to bring this up. If you think back to the Titans' playoff game against the Ravens this past year, uh, A.J. Brown started off very hot, winning his matchup with Marlon Humphrey. And then once the Ravens started rolling more coverage over to A.J. Brown and doubling him and sort of did their best to take him out, Corey Davis banged up. The Titans were worthless offensively. And so... And the reason they're worthless is because it was all up to, at that point, Khalif Raymond and Nick Westbrook-Akeen and Cam Batson. You've got to find somebody who, you know, like I said earlier, this offense is going to funnel through A.J. Brown. But you have to find somebody who, when the opponent just sells out to stop A.J. Brown, the offense doesn't just die. And Corey Davis was that for the Titans last year, of course, obviously. But Corey Davis was hurt in that game, and now Corey Davis is gone. So you don't necessarily need someone as good as Corey Davis, but you need someone who can have that same effect, at least. But along with that, I, I, also, wouldn't, I, I also wouldn't be opposed to finding you know a, a legit number two or, or one B in the first round. Yeah, I was told that's what Johnny Smith was, is that he was an unstoppable wild card that can never be tamed and he's basically a wide receiver <laughs> one in line blocking. So I, I don't, I don't know. Like that, the thing is like the Ravens just kind of suffocated the Titans on offense. And even when they got in rhythm, they just, there was that play where Batson just fell down, which was <laughs> terrible. And it's an interception. Oh, that was that sucks. Khalif. Oh, Khalif. They're both the same, like they're yeah. the same person. Like I'm sh- I am feel like they've parent trapped us and switched jerseys before the game and nobody's noticed or cared. Like, I, I don't know. Like you're, you're not wrong. Like, but then again, you're also saying if somebody has, 
if somebody's equipped to take out A.J. Brown, already something that's incredibly difficult to do, and your wide receiver two gets hurt, and they figured out how to stop Derrick Henry, like if that happens, you've just got to hope you've got a defense that can make a play or something. Because yeah. if they can do all that, then they're just on point on their game. And, you know, that's like if you said, okay, if you take away Mike Evans and then you get pressure on Tom Brady and sack him a bunch and also take away Gronkowski in the red zone. It's like, yeah, like that would have been great for the Chiefs to do. But, you know, it's like uh, it's it's one of those things where sometimes guys are just going to beat you because they find ways and things don't break your way. And that's kind of how that game was with the Titans. They were one – long Lamar Jackson run where the defense just looked helpless out there and that stupid interception where Bats and Raymond fell down away from you know being a very competitive game or you know because we did see the same team beat the Ravens in the regular season like you know when, when everybody was healthy they beat them you know Decent. I mean, like they beat him in overtime, but it was one of those they had to drive the field to make it an overtime game. So I, I don't know. Like, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but you can really only fix so much. So I, I would love to spend three straight first round picks on wide receivers and get all that talent. But there, there's always a give and take to it. So for this offense to be as good as it was last year. I think you can get away with a second or third round wide receiver that kind of plugs in and just does their job. But if you are okay with what you have on defense at corner and at edge, then you can roll the dice on a wide receiver in round one and maybe be better on offense in two years and keep up the offense, you know, pretty consistently this year. And, you know, you can make that trade off. I I just, there's so many moving parts and it's all about the value. It just, I don't know. It's it's tough. Before we do stop the nonsense, let's address quickly because I mentioned we would at the beginning the national news of the week. Let's just hit both simultaneously. Maybe uh, Matthias, you can take one, and Will, you can take the other. Part one: the Panthers giving up a trio of draft picks in exchange for for now former Jets quarterback Sam Darnold. Uh, after Teddy Bridgewater, not surprisingly, was not very good for them last year. You know, Teddy Bridgewater is an okay quarterback. He's not going to win you games. I don't know that Sam Bradford is better than that. Or excuse me, Sam Darnold is better than that. But we'll see what happens. And then, on, and then in the uh, uh, with the Forty ers they are according to Adam Schefter and Benjamin Albright and most and Matt Miller and most people that are smart. It's like 97% going to be Mac Jones. I'm going to let Will take the Mac Jones one because that's just going to make me upset. So <laughs> I'll talk I'll talk about Darnold. Uh, I don't really understand what the Panthers are doing. I'm going to be honest with you. Like they gave up a second and fourth round pick. Okay, it was, it was next year, but it doesn't matter. Uh, for a sixth round pick and Sam Darnold. Like, you, you have the eighth pick in the draft. You probably could have gotten, well, apparently not Mac Jones, but possibly Trey Lance or Justin Fields, or you could have traded up for one of them. Like, I would rather... I, I think there's this there's this weird and and probably wrong notion that we don't know what we have in Sam Darnold. 
that there is still untapped potential. There, there might be a little bit because he's been on pretty terrible offenses, but what has he shown ever? In college, he had, what, one good year? He had a couple of good games. Uh, I can't even remember who it was against. And then he comes to the Jets. He's a top-five pick. He's supposed to be their savior. Uh, they still had good skill position players. Yeah, Gay sucks, but he showed absolutely nothing. Just absolutely nothing. I mean, he has a 45-39 to 39 touchdown-to-interception uh, ratio, and he's just never done anything. And now we're expecting him just because he's 23 years old and they're giving him a change of scenery. He'll have Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, uh, DJ Moore, that he'll just figure it all out. Like, I I, I don't understand why you're giving up a second and fourth round pick uh, for what already seems like we kind of know what he probably is. This is not Ryan Tannehill. And I put this on Twitter the other night. The notion that, like, t- these situations are similar. It's like, well, Tannehill was under Adam Gase, too. Tannehill didn't stink under Adam Gase. Tannehill, Tannehill was good. He wasn't great. He was pa- certainly passable, if not good. Uh, he got him to the playoffs at least once. Uh, now now Tannehill is an assassin. That's the word that I use to describe him. He's incredible. Uh, but Tannehill was not a schmuck with the Dolphins, and Sam Darnold has been that with the Jets. That's the difference in these two scenarios. Will, Mac Jones, third overall. Why? Uh, I mean, really bad player evaluation. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. just like, but you can't blame it on like being under pressure and under the clock because they did it with a month to go. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. Like, I've always said that the quarterback position in the NFL is one of the hardest things to really scout and evaluate because it matters so much what system you go into. And they're going into a system that can basically create yards at will on the ground. Like they, they're great at scheming that up. They've got a, a really good offensive line. They've got Kittle. They've got uh, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, who Brandon Ayuk was much better than I thought he would be. And I, I don't even think he was that great, but I just didn't. I, I, I thought he and Rager would be similar in that they would just be guys who didn't really ever look good. And at least I looked good sometimes. So you've got tools there. You know, you're, the defense is talented, but they're switching coaches. I don't know. Like, it, it, it screams desperation to me in a situation where I didn't think they should necessarily be that desperate. Uh, Mac Jones, as a player, is – fine he's super like we we have very little tape on him and the tape we have of him is him playing with a stacked roster and it's not like he really makes a ton of really high difficult throw like i don't i don't know why anybody would be in love with him i don't i much i don't know why anybody would take him at three much less trade up for the honor to take him at three (laughs) i guess is the best way like it's crazy to me my two things with this are, I think they could have gotten him at 12. I don't know if there was a whole lot of competition ahead of them to get him. And then number two, I don't know that he's a massive upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't either, but it's when, it's is Garoppolo ever going to play a full season? Yeah. Are they just done worrying about his injuries? Like, are they ready to get his contract off the book any way they can? Like, that that's those are the questions and then he, like i just i don't i don't get it because what what this tells you is this tells you that they think that there's a massive drop off from 3 to 4 in terms of the the 
third and fourth best quarterback because they were so afraid that the Dolphins were going to trade with somebody else that they weren't going to get their guy and that they were so sh- they, they were so worried that you know somebody else was going to like Mac Jones the way they did that they're willing to pay all this but I mean Atlanta would have traded down like I, I, I don't I mean surely they got into contact with them but it should never have gotten to three first rounds or you know it, it that's just too expensive now I don't I don't understand it. like basically we've heard that they were bidding against themselves and they're the one of the only if not the only team that has Mac Jones rated that high and that you know even people who know quote unquote that Mac Jones is going to be the pick are hoping that it didn't and they're saying you know they played it pretty close to the vest so it may not be as clear as everybody thinks but it would be surprising if it's not Mac Jones. And it's like even the people who've heard it are so convinced that it's a smokescreen based off how not bad, but just boring Mac, Mac Jones is that they've talked themselves, tried to talk themselves out of it. And it's, it's just a tough look. Like I, I don't know who's going to benefit from this because Mac Jones is going to get crucified if he's not instantly successful. And if that team doesn't go back to the playoffs, it's uh, tough. Well, I'll say this as we wrap up and head into Stop the Nonsense. One thing Matt Miller was saying was that there's no reason for them to smokescreen at this point because the teams ahead of them are taking quarterbacks, so, like, who cares? Like, you know, them saying we like Mac Jones if they actually like Zach Wilson doesn't make a difference to anything. Yeah, the, the only reason you do this is to, like, smoke out who you can trust and who you can't like who's leaking out information and who's not because there's no strategic advantage because uh, like you said, like it's not like they're picking again at five and they don't want somebody to take their pick at, you know, yeah. the, there's, there's no reason to snow anybody. Like we all, the, the Darnold trades happened. We all know that it's Lawrence Wilson, whatever. If you're going to pump somebody up, now's the time to do it. Like now's the time to say, you know, hey, Rappaport, we really think that Trey Lance is going to be a stud. He looks great. Like, look at him on tech. Like, the fact that everybody's reluctantly saying Mac Jones is just a terrible, like, it's a terrible sign both of the confidence of the organization in terms of hyping a guy up and in terms of the fact that nobody else thought that he should be a top five pick. I mean, we were – I think Matt, I think Matt Miller had uh, – the Colts trading up into the top 10 or something to draft Mac Jones before the Carson Wentz trade. And they gave up like a second round pick this year and that's it. And people lost their minds. Like people were like, (laughs) if they trade up for Mac Jones, Ballard should be fired and all like people were. And now we're not, we're basically like, I guess he's the quarterback. I guess Mac Jones is their guy. Like, and they traded away the same ransom that, Every guy, everybody's traded to get up to number one in the past. It just it it blows my mind that this isn't just everybody la- waking up and laughing at the 49ers every day. But then again, maybe that's why they're not pumping it up because they don't want to get laughed at. But they know that those are the only that's the only guy that they think can run their offense. This this feels like something a decision that will get people fired. It just does because if, you don't give away that much. If if he's gonna be Jimmy Garoppolo Jr. or Kirk Cousins, like you can't win anything with Kirk well, Cousins. Imagine if, that, if, if that's his ceiling. What about this? We talked about this last week, by the way. That uh, the 
the Shanahan quote is like that his favorite quarterback. Yeah, that he's we ever, did talk about yeah. that last week. So, so there, there it is. So it's like that should have told us. And now the fact that it's being confirmed now shouldn't be surprising because that's his template of what the perfect quarterback is, is Kirk Cousins. If they draft Matt Jones, who's the starter week one? Because I, I think it might still be Jimmy. It better be Mac Jones. Yeah, I, I agree. He just gave away three first round picks for him. Yeah, you can't do you can't do that. Like at that point, you just draft somebody and sit them, and then hope they have value. Like like the Patriots did with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like if you if you like a guy and you just need a backup quarterback, you wait and do that. But I mean. That Garoppolo has a no trade clause. Like, there's so many things wrong with this. Like they're going to get terrible value for him anyway. Like he's going to have to pre-approve whatever team yeah. he goes to, and he's under no like. There, there's no reason he should want to move on. Like there's a good chance he goes into camp and sees how terrible Mac Jones is and does what Aaron Rodgers did, which is like, okay, just gave me a raise, but I see the option that y'all invested in heavily right behind me, and he sucks. So I'm going to stay here and remind you how bad he is and make sure the team knows that I'm better than him. And then in a year, you're either going to have to pay me more money or you're going to have to lose the locker room and explain to them why you traded me away. Like, I mean, it better be Mac Jones because otherwise, I mean, maybe not Shanahan because Shanahan has proven his value so many times. But, I mean, general manager, whoever, like, I mean, you got to clean house somewhere. Mm -hmm. Let's do Stop the Nonsense, guys. Who wants to get started? Uh, I'll do mine because I'm furious about it still. <laughs> so, uh, is this Bally Sports? Uh, yeah, the Predators are playing a game right now, and they're playing the uh, Detroit Red Wings. This is, you know, in the future, so I'm sure the Predators won eight to zero or eight to one or whatever. Uh, and y'all already know this, but I, you know, I've watched every Predators game this season. You know, if not every one, then all but a couple. And I like the Predators. I enjoy them. I go to the games when I can. And so they've always been on Fox Sports South. Well, the beginning of the year, they said, we're going to switch to Bally Sports in, at, at the end of March. After March, when in April, Bally Sports, blah, blah, blah. They've said several times, you don't have to change anything. Everything stays the same for you. Great. I normally watch it on television, but because we're doing the podcast, I, had, I was trying to find it in the background for whenever we get done. And so... I searched around for for the podcast and couldn't find it. I looked on my phone. I looked on, you know, Fox Sports South. Nothing. I said, okay, that's weird. So then I look on YouTube TV. It's not there either. Okay. So then I I look on a, I look on the app for the sorry the app store to find if there's a Bally Sports you know app streaming service or whatever. Nothing there. Super weird. Then I search on Twitter for it, and all I find is one account that's private, which can't be it, and another account that's tweeting about baseball, which is insane to me, and it isn't tweeting about you know the Predators game or whatever. So I'm out of luck, and they've been basically telling me for two months not to worry about it, that everything's going to stay the same, whatever. So I'm furious because now I've got to figure out you know, am I going to have to find a site that streams this for the rest of my life? Is there, are they going to finally develop an app because they had months to do it? Like what I'm trying to keep it as PG as I can. Cause I'm losing my mind because that seems like such a stupid thing to do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's my stop. The nonsense is if you're going to take over a channel, spend the 
two hours it takes to make an app that streams or to make a website that streams it online. Like I, I'm, I'm just furious. <laughs> Matthias. I'll go next. Uh, I'm going to talk about football, but not American football, European football. Uh, so in Spain, in the Spanish league, La Liga, there was a bit of an incident this, uh, this past weekend. Uh, it was a game between Cadiz and Valencia and there's a French uh, center back on Valencia. Uh, he's black. Um, and one of the Cadiz players uh, allegedly racially abused him, called him, you know, a racist, a that racial word slur. That, that, that one word we're not supposed to say. Uh, technically, yeah. Uh, well, it was in Spanish, but yeah, essentially. not the For sure, the words we shouldn't say. Uh, anyway, the, the center back from Valencia, the black guy ended up, uh, leaving the game. He got substituted off. His team came back to finish the game. Then they substituted off the guy that, that racially abused him at halftime. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, and then two days after this guy, uh, the one who racially abused, uh, the black guy comes out in a press conference and make some of the most outlandish statements I've ever seen. He said he was getting publicly lynched by the media, that it was a circus, uh, that they're like, you know, tarnishing his name and that the other guy just completely uh, invented whatever's happening. And then that that pissed me off because there's like actual video of him saying it, like you can hear it. But the thing that pissed me off the most was he claimed that racism doesn't exist in Spanish soccer. And I cannot explain how many times there have been racist incidents in <laughs> in Spanish soccer. It's like every single year there's something huge that happens. I mean, a couple of years ago, they threw a banana at a, at a Brazilian player because, you know, they have darker skin. They threw a banana onto the field at him, and he ended up eating the banana. It was hilarious. He, but... It was just like awful, and I've been to to Spanish soccer games. They are incredibly racist. The fans are awful. They chant some of the most racist, sexist, homophobic things I've ever seen. And just for for this guy to say this and, and then say he's getting publicly lynched, it's just the worst. The worst phrasing and just the worst use of his uh, use of his time use of our time and it's just so so narrow-minded and i hope he's probably gonna get, get suspended the rest of the season i hope he does <laughs> my stop the nonsense is also sports related uh it's about shohei otani the los angeles A anaheim angels i'm still confused about that after having watched baseball for all these years uh the angels uh designated hitter slash starting pitcher who played great uh, about a week ago. He was a starting pitcher, and he also batted for himself. You know, the Angels play in the AL, so typically we get a DH, but manager Joe Madden said, nope, we're going to let Otani bat for himself, and why not? Because he's really good. You would have thought that based on his performance in that game, that a combination of Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw had taken the field that night. 
I mean, people were ready to declare him the greatest player of all time. And the reason that bugged me is is twofold. First of all, uh, Otani is not new. He's been in Major League Baseball for, I believe, three years now. We know he's a two-way player. We know that he can throw the ball really hard. He's a good pitcher. We know he's a good hitter. He can crank it. We know that, all right? This is not news. But number two, he's never healthy. He's never played a full season at both positions. And yet, people are always freaking out about him. And I remember I, I said this as soon as he uh, defected and or came over, or whatever you call it, and, and the Angels got him. People, people were already ready to declare him an all-star just immediately. And I said, you know, we got we to gotta see if it works. Well, it turns out he's really good, but he's never healthy. So I'm willing to say that if Shohei Otani can play 150 games in a season, then, yeah, he's one of the you know, top 10 most valuable players in Major League Baseball. But until he can stay healthy... I do not understand why we have to declare him a king of some kind because he hit a fir- because he hit a home run into the first deck, and that and that's the thing too. Like everyone was acting like moonshot, unbelievable home run. It went in the first deck. He pulled it. It was a home run. Big deal. Didn't. Excuse my baseball ignorance, but didn't he uh, have to leave the game like a couple days ago because of Pro- a play, probably? A play? I, I can't like remember. He, it was a day he was pitching, and there was a play at the plate, and he got slid into, and he came out of the game. I'm pretty sure. Look, and I found I <laughs> uh, Will is going to Will, I'll Will has thoughts. <laughs> y'all are y'all are too too much cowards to say it. I'll do it. We should boycott baseball. Yeah. And you know I, I I will be the one out of the three of us that takes that first leap because I'm brave and some would call me a hero. So I'm officially boycotting baseball. <laughs> I, I just don't understand. I mean, that's like writers that I have a lot of respect for were like, man, oh man, I've never seen anything like this. He pulled a home run into the first deck. You've never seen anything like that? What are you talking about? It happens every day. Yeah, to be fair, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's sort of by choice. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to angle myself away from that. All right, that's going to do for us. Uh, next week, we are super excited because uh, one of our very favorite guests that we have on this show Justin Mello from the Draft Network will be joining us for the entire hour, as he does every year leading up to the draft. So we're really excited about that. We hope you are, too. We hope you will join us for that. Until then, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Boom. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.